Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. This is a real reflection of that so-called Chinese curse of may you live in interesting times. <laughs> These are very interesting times for U.S.-China relations. We are less than three months until the start of the Winter Olympics in Beijing, China. And as we mentioned earlier, the White House today announced a diplomatic boycott as tensions with the repressive communist country escalate. So we saw the Biden administration announce its diplomatic boycott. The Biden administration will not send any diplomatic or official representation to the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics. Quickly followed by Australia. Would therefore not be going uh, to China for those games. New Zealand. But we've made clear to China on numerous occasions our concerns about human rights issues. The UK. There will be a diplomatic boycott of the, uh, of the Winter Olympics in Beijing. No ministers are expected to attend. And Canada. We are extremely concerned by the repeated human rights violations. The fact that we see the United States and its allies and a growing list of countries imposing diplomatic boycotts of the Beijing Games really indicates the low point of relations of many countries with the Chinese government. I'm Annie Reese, and this is Politico Dispatch. And today, Philem Kine on the Biden administration's recent announcement about a diplomatic boycott of the Winter Games and what it says about where the U.S.-China relationship is right now. As a longtime China watcher, my head is spinning. How big a deal is this? This is a pretty big deal because there really haven't been this type of diplomatic sanction for an Olympic Games in, in decades. And so the most, the most notable example is in 1980, uh, the U.S. and various allies imposed a complete boycott of the Moscow Games in protest of the then Soviet Union's invasion of Afghanistan. So for major world powers to take this type of step is not unprecedented, but it's something that we haven't seen in decades. And it's occurring at the same time when the Chinese government is becoming increasingly assertive or even aggressive in its relations with the U.S. and various allies in the Indo-Pacific region. So it's really adding to the plate of irritants and perceived insults that the Chinese government has in its relation, bilateral relations with the United States and also with U.S. allies. And what was China's reaction? China's reaction is interesting because, first off, this is... This came as no surprise to the Chinese government. There's no doubt that in President Biden's virtual meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping on November 15th, that he telegraphed that this was coming. And in recent weeks, the Chinese government has sort of foreshadowed this eventuality by claiming that the Chinese government doesn't invite anybody to their games, that, mm -hmm. that invitations for Olympic games are handled by the International Olympic Committee, then handed down to national Olympic committees. So what the Chinese government was saying for weeks ahead of this was, hey, they can't not come because we haven't even invited them. It, it's not our business. <laughs> and so the way they've responded since the announcements have come through starting Monday is they have, the Chinese foreign ministry has been warning of quote unquote severe 
countermeasures. And it hasn't given any details, but the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Beijing has hinted that perhaps there might be some type of Chinese reprisal for future U.S.-held international sport competitions. And so on the calendar, of course, is the LA 2028 Summer Games. So is the Chinese government willing to wait, you know, six or seven years to get its reprisal for this diplomatic boycott? I mean, it's, it's doubtful. But it's clear that they're going to do something primarily symbolic, which might involve, for example, placing those U.S. lawmakers who were prominent advocates of the diplomatic boycott, including Senator Mitt Romney and Representative Gregory Meeks, on some kind of sanctions list, mm-hmm. which the Chinese government does to indicate or communicate its displeasure at outspoken foreign critics. So what is the U.S.'s goal here? And do you think that this boycott is going to achieve that goal? Like how much of this do you think is sort of optics and how much of this, what what, what even is the U.S.'s goal, I guess? Yeah. So the U.S. government and many of those allies that have joined this diplomatic boycott campaign are essentially painted in a corner because Mm -hmm. most or all of them, including the U.S., have concluded that the Chinese government is guilty of genocide in the Xinjiang region against Muslim Uyghurs. And so the U.S. government simply could not afford politically to be sending the president or senior government officials to shake hands with and to stand under the flag of a country that's implicated in genocide. It was a Mm non-starter. There is real serious public concern about the human rights abuses in China. And of course, this is a huge political issue in the United States. You know, perceptions of China's threat to the U.S. economically, militarily, and to China's threat to the uh, international rule-based system is the one of the few, if perhaps the only, bipartisan issue in the United States right now. So there was really no way that Biden could have signed off on sending senior government officials to China, given those circumstances. Um, the impact of this is overwhelmingly symbolic. It's clear that the Chinese government is is digging down and doubling down in terms of its response to criticism about its human rights record and particularly to allegations of genocide or crimes against humanity in Xinjiang. Uh, and so it's not going to change, but this is what foreign governments, including the U.S., see as an important symbolic reminder to the Chinese government that the international community is not going to allow the Chinese government to have value-added propaganda victories while these types of abuses are ongoing. And it's, it's worth mentioning that the Chinese government completely denies any type of human rights abuses in Xinjiang yeah. and uh, claims that it's the that it, that the Chinese government is being smeared unfairly for such mm-hmm. allegations. So this boycott of the games comes as diplomatic relations between the U.S. and China feel very strained. Mm-hmm. President Biden's 
sort of much anticipated summit for democracy started yesterday and Beijing didn't get an invite. So can you give me a sense of where this fits into this broader picture? So we have simultaneously the same week, we have the Biden administration announcement of this diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Games and this two-day so-called summit for democracy, which the Chinese government, the Russian government, and other autocratic regimes were excluded from. But the fact is, is that the Chinese government has known for weeks or months that it would not be getting a seat at that table. And it had known for months that its arch rival Taiwan would be getting a seat at that table. So these issues aren't surprises to the Chinese government. They've sort of been, been baked in. And the Chinese government is obligated both in terms of, of domestic perceptions and in terms of its international narrative to bluster and threaten in response to these issues. But it does not seriously impact what progress was made in that November 15th virtual meeting between Biden and Xi. Mm. Clearly, Biden had telegraphed what the U.S. was going to do, how it was going to handle this. And the fact is, is that the Chinese government sees the benefits of trying to drain some of the rancor from the bilateral relationship that has persisted for years Mm -hmm. and try to put the relationship on a more productive setting. And so this week is a week of bad optics. It's a week of very bad PR. It's a week in which the Chinese government is going overdrive in claiming that it's a democratic state, Mm -hmm. in claiming that U.S. democracy has failed and uh, claiming that it is being very badly used by the U.S. government and its allies. But this is not going to create any type of long-term profound impact on the relationship. And this is also coming as, you know, the past several decades, essentially, or the past couple of decades, we've seen a rising China and different presidents all trying to develop different kinds of trade agreements, you know, or to look at how to curb a rising China. I mean, that's a big part of this, too. Countries in the World Trade Organization have been urging Biden to adopt new and different trade agreements with China as well, right? Yeah, I mean, the other really fascinating part of of this particular week, you know, diplomatic boycott, democracy, uh, summit for democracy. But this is on Saturday, December 11th is the 20th anniversary of China's entry into the World Trade Organization. And this is something that, uh, you know, the Clinton administration had really pitched as a serious win-win for both the United States and for China, uh, saying that it would be a game changer in terms of improving U.S. manufacturers' access to the Chinese market. And also, implicitly and explicitly, the Clinton administration made clear that they believed that getting China inside the international trading uh, community would lead to political reform to make it a more uh, market 
oriented economy and to empower reformers who are interested in both trade, but also democratic reforms in China. And of course, what we've seen is that to a large extent, China has exploited loopholes in the world trading system and inside the WTO has broken rules. And to a large extent, the U.S. sees itself now as a loser in terms of advocating for China to enter the WTO. And that's why we're at this moment right now where the U.S. is rethinking how it can have a mutually productive trading relationship with China. Philem Kine, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Also today, the Food and Drug Administration has authorized a booster dose of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for 16 and 17-year-olds, giving those teens access to the shots as the Omicron variant spreads worldwide. And the Metropolitan Museum of Art is dropping the Sackler name from seven exhibition spaces amid growing outrage over the role the family may have played in the opioid crisis. This is the latest in a string of high-profile institutions removing the Sackler name. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Dispatch's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our executive producer is Jenny Ament. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>